from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. The University of Florida has long been a destination for champions, and today we'll highlight two programs that are coming off of championship seasons and looking for more. The Gator softball team became only the third program in softball history to win back-to-back national titles last year, and we'll chat with head coach Tim Walton about the start of their season this week and the pressure to stay on top. Also, Florida lacrosse got underway last Saturday, and we'll discuss the start of their second year competing in the Big East with head coach Amanda O'Leary. But first, we've got the latest on the Gator basketball team, which rebounded nicely from a humbling defeat at Kentucky with a hard-nosed win against Ole Miss. The season sweep of the Rebels wasn't easy, though, and FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry credits Florida's ability to limit the SEC's leading scorer in Stephon Moody. They kind of, Adam, had a blueprint for doing that because when they went to Oxford last month, they did a pretty good job on him, got him in foul trouble in that game too, and really made him work for his points. I think in that game he got 22 points, but it was below his uh, SEC leading average at that time too. He had uh, one assist and six turnovers in that game. So maybe they kind of figured out how to play him. Now they did a lot of the same stuff here. and He got in foul trouble again. You know, he goes and gets his 19 points, but two assists, Eight turnovers. He's five for 11 from the floor. He gets to the free throw line a lot and makes a lot of free throws. He did that again tonight, but, you know, he didn't kill them. They were able to control him. And one thing Mike White told his players about all during practice week, he goes, he's going to get his points. We just can't let some other guy go crazy. And I tell you what, you got to give some credit to Tomas Gilo. He came off the bench and scored 20, had eight rebounds. And Rasheed Brooks got off to a really good start when Moody got in foul trouble with 16 points. So they were getting some stuff from some other guys, but that kind of stopped when Moody came back in the second half and Florida kind of hunkered down on him a little bit. He got most of his points again at the free throw line, but coming off that game at Kentucky, the defense was so abysmal, and when the point of emphasis there was don't lose Jamal Murray. You can't lose this guy. You can't lose him in transition. You can't give him separation in half court. All those things they weren't supposed to let happen, they let happen. Against Ole Miss, you know, they pretty much were on point with what they needed from Stephon Moody, so they learned something from that game Saturday. Yeah, they got killed at Rupp Arena. A lot of teams get killed at Rupp Arena, right, Adam? I mean, Florida's played there 59 times and won nine times times in their history. John Calipari's lost four times there in seven years. So that one really needed to be put in the back burner and turn your attention to this week, two big home games, got to win those games and start building that resume toward the postseason. You mentioned the Kentucky game and Mike White being unhappy with the way they played defense. And it kind of was a two or three game trend where they weren't defending as well as they had been. And if anything, sometimes during a season, you have to refocus and get back to your ideals. And it seemed like Mike White really identified that. And they responded against Ole Miss by focusing more on the defensive end. Yeah, and sometimes you have to acknowledge that the other team may be playing pretty well. I mean, Ole Miss 15-8 and coming in, same record as the Gators. They're in postseason positioning, too. They're a desperate team, and they know they got to play extra desperate on the road to get a win. So it was going to be that kind of a dogfight. And plus, Florida went to Oxford and just absolutely killed them last month. They were up 8 nothing. I think they had a 19-point lead at halftime. They were never behind in the game. And then Kayvon Allen went crazy in that game, 6-7 from 3, 27 points. So sometimes the other team deserves a little credit. Florida was playing a desperate team. Florida acted like a desperate team and got out of here with a win. Probably a, a little more gut-wrenching than Mike White would have liked. But, you know, those, those kind of games can help you. 
A guy like Devin Robinson has so many tools, and his athleticism is off the charts, but hasn't always shown that consistently on the floor. Against Ole Miss, had one of the best games of his career. I sat next to an NBA scout in Lexington, and he was saying that he's their best NBA prospect. People still really like him. People love his length. They love his athleticism. Both of those things, you know, you saw. But he also said they love his shot, you know, what it looks like. But he also said, how come he's not helping them win as much as he should be? Well, they probably won because of him, Adam. Mike White said it was his best game as a Gator. He's obviously watched tape from last year and Devin Robinson's freshman year. Okay, career-high 15 points. He grabs five rebounds, four of them on the offensive end. He made a great cross-court pass to Casey Hill for that three he made. Threw it over the whole defense. That's what a 6'9", 6'10 guy can do. But a phenomenal stat, which you reminded me of beforehand. He'd taken how many charges? Two charges this year, and he comes up with three in this game, including one that fouls out Stefan Moody with a minute nine left in the game. You really got to tip your hat to this guy because Devin Robinson would probably be starting on almost every other team, every other program he'd be playing. But, you know, he's probably a true four player, but he's not going to start over Dorian Finney-Smith. He's been inconsistent, and that's why he's not starting. And Mike White has explained that to him, and he hasn't gone in the tank about it. He hasn't really complained. When he hasn't played well, he's turned a finger at himself and, you know, taken the blame. So uh, I can only imagine how good this team could be when you get this kind of effort out of him every single night. Another thing we saw against Ole Miss was a really shortened bench from a team that's gone very deep throughout the year. So what were your thoughts on the way Mike White used his rotation against the Rebels? Yeah, you wondered what was going to happen because Brandon Francis Ramirez had been playing some. He played a little bit at Kentucky, actually scored seven points up there. Devon Walker got in there for defensive purposes. Neither of those guys played. And Kavaris Hayes, I mean, he was in two minutes and got, I think, three fouls. And Skyler Rimmer, they didn't get much at him. So basically, they played seven guys against Ole Miss. And I think what Mike White is going to do the rest of the season is coach off feel when it comes to his rotation. You know, if he doesn't believe that Devin Robinson was going to help them in the Ole Miss game, you know, it wasn't a place for him to be in there. If he didn't think maybe Brandon Francis matched up with Stephon Moody and Casey Hill needed a break and that wasn't the right time to do it, you know, he coached by feel. So that's not to say that Brandon Francis isn't going to get another shot. And I guarantee that when a Mike White meets with Brandon Francis, meets with the team, they're going to have a one-on-one conversation saying, hey, it just didn't happen. We still need you to be ready to play because you're going to play some more. Florida struggled on the road this year, which means it's even more important to win those home games. They've done that undefeated in the SEC in the O-Dome. Now Alabama comes in with a new head coach this year that's kind of a surprise to a lot of people in college basketball. Yeah, Avery Johnson was an out-of-the-box hire, a guy everyone knows from the NBA. Won an NBA championship with the Spurs as a player and then actually played for one, I believe, uh, coaching the Dallas Mavericks. But Alabama has not beaten Florida since, I believe, the 2008 season. It's an 11-game winning streak. Alabama's not a great road team, but they're certainly a capable team. They hand South Carolina their first loss of the season when South Carolina was unbeaten. They smashed them in that game. I believe it was 73-50. They also beat Tennessee, a team that just manhandled Florida. Lost to LSU by two at home. So they played some teams well at home. So this is all going to be about Florida's focus. That's what Mike White's going to talk about. 17-8 looks a lot better than 16-8. And now you're starting to inch your way to that number, that magic number. And I I think the number is 19, Adam. You don't want to start talking about what the number is, but you want to try to get to it. And I think to get there, you hold serve at home. Florida has to play Vanderbilt at home. They've lost to them on the road. Got to play Kentucky at home. They've lost them. They got a game at Missouri to end the season, which they're going to be expected to win. Missouri is not a very good basketball team, but they haven't won there yet. They went there last year against a team that was, I believe, 2-16 and 16 in the league and lost. So there are no givens. Mike White's going to talk about focusing internally the energy and un- you know, unleashing that on Alabama this weekend. And I will say this, the game's at 530, and I believe uh, as of Monday morning, the game was within 500 of being a sellout, so it should be an outstanding crowd, probably along 
along the lines of that West Virginia game. So it really should be a good day of basketball for the Gators. Tim Walton took over the Gators softball program in 2006 and quickly made his mark, leading the team to its first Women's College World Series in 2008, then a berth in the finals in 2009 and 2011. Those unprecedented levels of success were taken a step higher the last two seasons as the Gators claimed back-to-back national titles on the strength of MVP performances from Hannah Rogers in 2014 and then Lauren Hager in 2015. With the expectations now sky-high for his team, we asked Tim Walton where the program is now relative to before they won it all. I feel like we're, we're pretty much in the same place. The only thing different is really the, um, the level of success we've had the last two seasons, um, you know, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of the College World Series. We've had a lot of success at the College World Series, um, but never really been able to get over that hump of, you know, winning the last game. And so to do that, I think it takes you really to a different mental state confidence-wise. You understand what it takes. You understand the downs of a season may not directly impact the end of the season, and the goods of the season may not directly impact the end of the season. And I think that, uh, that's been something that I've always known, but to be able to validate that with the national championship and, and, and to get to that point and to hoist the trophy and to watch your young and old players alike really feel that and embrace that, I think that helps build the character that's needed in a person to not get too high, not get too low. Don't let success change really who you are because the character is really going to be the thing that never goes away. No matter how many wins, no matter how many losses, you're always going to be the person that you are. And I think that's kind of where we thought we were and now we know we are. You don't replace someone like Lauren Hager. It's almost impossible when you look at her accomplishments. But having said that, how do you compensate for the losses of what she brought in so many areas. You don't replace Lauren Hager. You hope that somebody or somebodies can fill in for what she provided. She was clutch. She got better. And not to mention, then you take 20 home runs and 70 RBIs. Felt like her average every single season. I'm just looking at you take a superstar out of the program in Lauren Hager and you put in eight other hitters. And hopefully those eight other hitters can really provide a lot of things that maybe Lauren Hager left behind. You mentioned a couple names just now, but go into further depth, if you will, on the new players in this program and what you expect them to bring to the table. Well, Kelly Barnhill is going to be in the mix, in the circle all the time for us. So we're going to pitch... You know, the Kelly Barnhills, you know, Alicia Ocasio and Delaney Gorley a lot. But uh, Kelly is a freshman who's going to provide us with just a lot of good tools and a lot of good intangible things that um, she brings with us. Velocity and movement and location and competitiveness and just drive and the will to want the ball all the time. Amanda Lorenz, also a freshman, going to play uh, outfield for us and start the season in left field. Amanda's a, a fierce competitor with great work ethic. Comes from a very, very, very successful travel ball program that has produced a lot of great players for us as well. And then from there, Alex Voss should see a lot of time. Lily Mann and Brooke Clemens and Teresa Swartfager. Sophia's going to redshirt this season. She won't play at all. But I would say that Kelly and Amanda and Alex are probably going to provide us you know, with the, the most out of that freshman group uh, this year. The last couple of years, your staff was intact. Now a very different look to the staff. Talk about how you change the chemistry of your staff and what that's going to look like. If you asked our team right now what our strengths are, they would say outfield athleticism, 
our slaps, our bunts, and our steals. And bringing in someone like Sharonda, those were all the things that she brought to us. So when I brought her in, it's really what we were already getting ready to start doing a little bit more of was uh, a little bit more athletic, uh, a little bit more speed, a little bit more short game potentials, because that's what we have. We have some of those kind of players. So I think she's really brought a great dynamic to us. And bringing in a Doug Mirabelli, who's a you know major league catcher, three-time All-American in college, a uh, great player in his own right, but also a great mind. And I think that that's one thing that having him around just to really the short time that we've had him for some of the games in the fall and some of our inner squads and our practices just his perspective is very good so it's one final ride for the senior class that's been so critical to getting this program to that next level what are your emotions seeing them start this final campaign and knowing what each of them have meant to the program you know it's it's funny when i talk to our seniors privately not only one-on-one but as a group the things that most people wouldn't recognize about this senior group is they're all so unselfish When we went through our recruiting conversations and we went through the recruiting process, we really got them to know the University of Florida and our softball program and myself personally. They just came off as unselfish. Even though they're all winners and even though they all want to start, there was something different about them. And uh, the fact that they came in here and were able to play right away, I think, set them up for the steps the College World Series as a freshman, the national championship as a sophomore, the national championship as a junior, and then you put them into their senior season. And uh, whether we win a national championship, whether we get to the College World Series, these five individuals have really taken what it means to be a Gator to a whole nother level and what it means to be a Gator to a whole nother meaning, just adding on to the very successful class from 2008, 9, 10, 11, that that four-year group that made it to the College World Series four straight times, the only class we've ever had. And I think they did a good job of passing the baton to some other kids. And then you take in the the Lauren Hagers and the Bailey Cashers and the Katie Medina group in there. I I just think that we've really identified the type of person that we feel that's going to be successful at the University of Florida. The team came out during the West Virginia basketball game, threw out some t-shirts and tried to promote coming out to the opener. And Kelsey Stewart got on the mic and she said, hey guys, we're back-to-back national champions. Come out and see us as we begin the quest for the three-peat. Is that something you like? Do you want them to embrace that challenge, or does that mess up the day-to-day nature of what you like to do? I don't really look into it the same as those that write about success. Those that live success understand the true importance of really what it takes to be successful. And they don't really get caught up on too many things outside that could distract them. And so I think that to me, when she says that, it's a confidence. It's a work ethic level. It's also a reminder to the coaching staff, hey, we still want this. And so if they lose sight of that, I can easily bring that back out and use their words against them if they need it. But I really think that, you know, this team we've talked about, that's not our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal isn't to be back-to-back-to-back national champions. Our overall goal is not to win a national championship this year. Our overall goal is to find a way to continue to get better. And I think that that's truly valuable. And as we get better as a team, then all of those other things can be possible. Final thing for you, when you've had this kind of success and you've sustained it now, what keeps you going personally? What drives you day to day when you've been to the top of the mountain? How do you explain that process for you as a coach? 
having two coaches in your program that haven't won a national championship, having an equipment manager that hasn't won a national championship, having managers that haven't won a national championship, having players now, and we have seven freshmen that have not won a national championship at the collegiate level, those are motivation factors. Those are the strives. Those are the daily chores that you have to go through to, to help them find their way, just like a parent tries to teach their kids um, how to go about life the right way and how to have really the perfect response to situations. That's what we're hoping that we've done with our young players and our young staff is trying to get them to learn and understand what it means to be a champion and what it means to not only win national championships, but what it means to sustain the success at the University of Florida to overall build a program. That's been my goal since I've gotten here, and I've told our players this over and over and over again. I want a program that when a team graduates, the next year they're hoping that the next team has more success than they had and the year before that. It's when you start to go, well, I hope that team doesn't have as much success as we did then you know you don't have a program. You have a good group, you have a good team, but you don't have a good program. We're trying to build this program from the ground. We're trying to get it to where we have a, a, a very strong foundation. From there, every single person is going to bring their bricks. But the, the, the program that we want to have is, is the mortar. The mortar inside, the mortar is what holds the bricks together. The mortar is what holds that foundation um, and allows it to get taller and taller. And that's our goal as a program. That's my goal. To sustain success is you'll learn each year is a new year and each person brings something different. And that's how you sustain success. It has nothing to do with the championship trophies. It has nothing to do with the championship rings. It's all about the people that you have a chance to work with. With so much going on along Stadium Road this time of year, you might have missed the season opener for lacrosse on the southwest side of campus. Amanda O'Leary's team carries the distinction of being the lone Gator program not competing in the SEC. But it's been of no consequence for Florida as they've found success in first the ALC and now are the reigning champions of the Big East. The 7th-ranked Orange and Blue opened the year with a dominant 15-6 win over 13th-ranked Loyola, and we asked Coach O'Leary what impressed her about her team's performance. You know, I was really pleased with the way our team competed on Saturday. Um, I thought they came out of the locker room really strong, ready to play. You know, we had a very, as I thought, a, a strong competitor against Loyola. That's a very good team, very well coached, athletic, has great stick skills. Um, and I thought we came out and played really hard and really well. This is your second year in the Big East now. You won the league last year, and as you've moved around from conference to conference, having a second year under your belts now in this league, what advantages will that give you? In year two, there's a, a better sense of familiarity amongst the teams that we compete against, you know, with not only us as coaches, but also our players. Um, they become more familiar with, you know, other players in the league, and I think it makes it a little bit easier when we go in to scout those teams. There's a better sense of what the other team is going to come out with. In lacrosse, you've got your traditional powers, and it seems like the same teams are always up there, and you go out of your way to schedule those teams out of conference as well. How important is that to be able to play those teams year in, year out, the North Carolinas, the Syracuses, the Marylands? I think it's incredibly important. I mean, in order to be the best, you have to play the best, and I think that's been a motto of ours ever since the inception of this program. Uh, I think for us, the idea of playing those teams, it's a challenge um, week in and week out. We attempt to you know, put our players in uncomfortable 
uncomfortable situations during practice so that they are familiar once we get into the game that that's the easy part. So I'm excited about our out-of-conference schedule and the fact that we play a majority of top 10 teams in the beginning of our season, and I think it certainly helps then once conference rolls around that we're a little bit better prepared. As you travel around wearing the Florida gear, people probably come up to you all the time. So you have Florida SEC. Is it weird for you guys not being in the SEC? And how do you view that when, when people bring that to your attention? Yeah, definitely interesting, um, you know, because people will, you know, as you said, they'll come up and say, oh, you're in the SEC. And no, we're in the Big East. And I think you know, they get a little confused. And then, of course, the other question is, well, how many other teams are in the SEC that play lacrosse? And obviously, it's just us and Vanderbilt. So I think it does come as a surprise to some people that we don't compete in the SEC. I think a goal of ours in the future is that the SEC does end up having a a women's lacrosse conference. That would be incredible, and I think would be a really, really successful conference. Um, But right now, obviously not having one, um, it it is one of those unique situations. With that being said, how have you seen the sport grow in the Southeast in your time here, and how close do you think that is to actually happening? I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later. I think the growth of the sport across the country is is 400%. So, you know, there is tremendous growth across the country. And certainly, I think the level of interest is growing each and every day. And we're seeing more teams in the state of Florida adding lacrosse. We're seeing more teams going from club to varsity status. So again, it's, it's just an exciting place to be in women's lacrosse right now because of that growth. What do you think has led to the growth of the sport? What about lacrosse is bringing more and more people to it? It's a fun sport to play. I mean, you can go out and there's not a specific body type that plays the sport. There's no real parameters that would hold you back from being successful at this sport. So, you know, I think across the board, it's just a really, really engaging sport to play. It's fast-paced. It's entertaining. There's always something going on. So I think it incorporates a lot of different attributes that young women want to take part in. When you look at this year's team predicted to once again win the Big East, talk about the makeup of this group and and what makes it special. You know, I have to credit our our seniors. I mean, they have done a phenomenal job of getting this team to where it is right now. Um, We have tremendous team chemistry. Uh, We have a bunch of freshmen who came in um, that were taken under their wing by the upperclassmen, and they've made the transition to college lacrosse really easy for them. And I think they've, you know, they've just done a tremendous job across the board of making it a really fun place to be in the locker room. So I, I can't give enough credit to our upperclassmen and our seniors for really dedicating this season to making sure we have good team chemistry. Um, so excited about that aspect. And again, we have a lot of starters that are that have a lot of experience under their belt. So um, I anticipate us having a good season with them at the helm. In addition to the work done by the upperclassmen, what does the coaching staff have to take on when you've got 11 freshmen that you're trying to work into the program and get up to college game speed? It's definitely a challenge, and it's a challenge for you know for every coach probably across the country. But I will say that the, our freshman class this year um, have dedicated themselves to just making not only themselves better but their teammates better. Um, they have a tremendous work ethic. Um, they're just they're a good group of kids, and they're fun to be around. So you know. I credit them as well for coming in here with with the attributes necessary to compete at the highest level and be ready to play right when they got here. We talked to Tim Walton earlier in the podcast, and he talked about Florida and what that means and having champions walk around you all the time and the way that that pushes you to go even further. What impact does that have on, on you and your program being a part of this bigger universe here? 
the tradition of, of the University of Florida athletics is, is just incredible. So I think the fact that our players are in the weight room with gymnasts who have achieved the highest level in gymnastics, um, Olympic swimmers, uh, future NFL players, that sets in front of them a, a really high standard. And I think it's one of those things where they want to maintain that high standard and they want to be part of championships. Um, so I think there's a, you know, there's just a sense of accomplishment and that wanting to be the best of the best because the people that they surround themselves day in and day out are literally the best of the best. As you work through this early stretch of the season, what are you going to be looking for most with your team in terms of improvement in areas you want to see them grow? This is a team that we can't let a day go by without getting better and better. Um, you know, we talk about that day in and day out is not letting a practice get by um, without some sort of improvement. And I think that's, you know, a challenge for us right now. We're in a part of our schedule where we're playing Saturday and then again on Saturday. So that's a long week of practice um, and one that they have to mentally prepare for. So I think for us right now, the fact of just not letting a day go by without improvement um, is really important. We're still really firing away at the basics um, because obviously later on in the season we'll have to be a little bit more concerned about game plans but right now we're just still focusing on the basics and you know they've done a great job they're staying healthy and they're happy so it's it's all good things and that's going to do it for this week's show if you haven't already done so make sure to subscribe to gator tales on itunes soundcloud or stitcher so you never miss an episode we also encourage your feedback and want to know what you want to hear on Gator Tales. So you can email gatorspodcast at gmail.com or tweet at gatorspodcast with your thoughts and we'll try to make it happen. Next Thursday brings a brand new episode and includes a look at the preseason top-ranked Gator baseball team as they began the 2016 campaign. Until then, I'm Adam Schick and I'll see you in the O-Dome.